anything. Amen. Are your priorities the priorities of God today? I, I pray so. I pray so. It's been, um, it's been an interesting week. It's been full of challenges. I don't know about you, but, uh, but God is still faithful. Amen. <clears throat> is this on? Um, I don't know what kinds of crises you all are facing these days, but um, I was encouraged uh, this Wednesday during prayer meeting. We've been going through a little book called Prayer, a compilation of Ellen White's statements, and um, can I just read something to you? Um, if you're going through a valley today, I hope that you'd find courage in this. It just says this. Be not afraid to trust God. Amen. Rely upon his sure promise, ask, and ye shall receive. God is too wise to err and too good to withhold any good thing from his saints that walk uprightly. Man is erring, and although his petitions are sent up from an honest heart, he does not always ask for the things that are good for himself or that will glorify God. Can I get a witness? <laughs> oh, boy. But when this is so, our wise and good Father hears our prayers and will answer. Sometimes immediately, but he gives us the things that are for our best good and his own glory. Be not afraid to trust God today. Be not afraid to trust God. Some of us are facing significant challenges. Some of us uh, don't know exactly where to turn, but I tell you, our Father is a faithful Father. Uh, before we get into the message this morning, I do want to, um, again, just remind us that, uh, you know, we do have a special time of prayer here after the service each Sabbath, and today we're going to take special time to pray for our friend Elda. Um, she's our adventurer club leader. She and her husband have been doing such a faithful job. And um, she's, gonna, she's been experiencing a very painful condition that has been very debilitating for a long time. Um, but praise the Lord, an opportunity has opened up for this Monday for a, a surgical procedure that will be a toll on her and her family. Um, but we want to pray that God would continue to hold this family together and would restore uh, full and complete health. So we're going to have a special time of prayer here after the service, and, and maybe there are some of us here that have special requests as well, and you want to be a part of that too. Um, so yeah, please, please. One of the greatest things we can do as a family is to pray for each other and uphold one another, all right? Uh, I also want to just kind of throw this out, something to put on our calendars. Um, you know, our preschool ministry is such a blessing, I don't know if you realize this. You should come out sometime between the hours of 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. and find that this church is open to young people who are coming to Jesus day by day. Anyways, our preschool is, uh, is doing something special on Sunday, April 21. You, want, you might want to write that on your calendar. Sunday, April 21 at 3 p.m. There's a special fundraiser. Uh, they're trying to raise monies to develop some shade over this, this playground area. Um, you know that our trees recently went down, and so we want to be able to do something that would compensate and be healthful for our kids. So that's something to be aware of. This morning we're going to get into the Word. Are you ready? Yeah? All right. We're going to bow our heads for another word of prayer. Father in heaven, please, this is your day, your time. We are your people gathered around your Word. And Lord, we know you don't waste our time but all too often we waste yours. So please, would you give us the Holy Spirit 
to transform our hearts, to illuminate our minds so that we could see the things you want us to see, so that our ears could hear the things you want us to hear. You know that we're weak, you know that we're frail, but I pray that somehow you would sanctify us through the living word today. Please, God, as we open up the Bible, please open up our hearts. This is our prayer in Christ's saving name. Let everyone say, amen, amen. Find a Bible if you, do, if you have one. Uh, there may be one in front of you in the pew. We're going to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. And this is part 2 of our series, Life on Life, the unsung secret of the early church. Life on Life, the unsung secret of the early church, part 2. We, we, we introduced this last week. And for those of us who weren't here, just to kind of catch you up to speed, we all know that the early church experienced exponential growth. It exploded from a, a small band of believers to turning the world upside down in a matter of a few years. How did it happen? Obviously, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's why we call this the book of Acts. It's not Acts of the Apostles. It's Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And so we're looking now, we're, we're looking at the early church this month, but we're not asking so much about the, the secret uh, that, well, really the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not a secret at all. <laughs> we know what happened, right? Uh, 10 days of prayer, 30 minutes of preaching, 3,000 souls in one day. Bam! All right, we know that. We know that. And over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts, there are repeated manifestations of the Holy Spirit's power. But this month we're asking the question, what took place in the meantime? We know what happened on the day of Pentecost, but what happened day after that, the day after that, and the day after that? How was the Holy Spirit manifest then? And we found that last week, it was manifest in the simple life-on-life -life ministry of people loving people. Amen. Did you notice that? We looked at one character. You remember his name? Barnabas. Barnabas. That's right. Barnabas, which, is some, which means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. The Greek word was parakaleo, made up of two words. Para, alongside, kaleo. Come here. So son of encouragement. Barnabas was someone who persisted in the habit of calling people to his side taking them under a wing, encouraging them, establishing them in the faith, and unleashing them for ministry, helping them realize their fullest potential. He did this for the believers in Antioch. He did this for a fellow named Saul turned Paul. He did this for John Mark, who was a runaway, turned into the first evangelist to write the first gospel. All right, so, so this was the ministry of Barnabas, and last week we all stood. We all stood and, and committed ourselves to be a church of Barnabai. Amen. Now, this week, we're not looking so much at a specific character. We're looking at a specific moment in the, in the experience of the early church in which life-on-life -life ministry had tremendous results, but it ran some serious risks. Okay? It had tremendous results, but ran some serious risks. So you've got your Bible, and go with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, when you're there, say amen. amen. All right. I'm beginning in verse 1, and I'm reading from the New King James Version today. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says this. Now in those days, 
when the number of the disciples was, what's the next word in your Bible? Multiplying, increasing. I like that, okay? There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Dun, dun, dun. Okay? Remember, Acts chapter 2, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People are meeting day by day, continuing steadfastly. There's so much unity, so much strength. And in chapter 6, there's a, a, a screeching of the brakes, so to speak. There's a threat to the unity. Now, the Bible says in verse 1, it begins like this. Now, in those days, do you have a picture of what those days were like? Do you have a picture of what life was like for the early church? Let's go in, uh, just a few chapters earlier. Chapter 4, verse 32. We read this for our scripture reading. In chapter 4, verse 32, let's get, just get, paint the picture of what those days were like. Verse 32, the Bible says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of how many hearts? One heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Now, before you get scared and, and, and thinking that this young preacher is moving towards socialism or whatever, <laughs> all I want to say is, look, there was great unity, one heart and one soul, and it wasn't just in thought. It wasn't just an ideal or an idea. It was a way of life. It affected the very decisions that they made with the most sensitive thing, their money. Okay, so, so this oneness was not just, oh, I, I'm one with you in thought. No, they were one in deed. Okay, this is serious. So this is, these are the kinds of days that they were living in. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the whose feet? The apostles' feet, okay? They surrendered them. They said, hey, 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 you know what? We are a brotherhood. We are a family. And so what I have, I, I pray that this would go to the, the most fit need. Verse 35, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Wow. Can you imagine what it would be like to be part of that family? You know, we, we live in a world in which it's dog eat dog. Um, it's my way. I'm looking out for number one, right? And in that kind of world, there's only one person looking out for me. But in this kind of world, the whole community was looking out for me. Wow. And so that's the kind of, this is, this is what we're talking about, life on life. They weren't just saying, I love you. They were showing it too. And so they, they made the investment of personal effort, personal time, and even personal resource. Wow. If you go on into the next chapter, chapter 5, look at the very end of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 41 and 42. When you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Chapter 5, verse 41, 42, it says this, so they departed from the presence of the council. They had just been kind of uh, arraigned before the Jewish leaders and told to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. But they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer shame for his name. 
that's a level of faith that sometimes I think is foreign to my own. You know? Um, to, to have the kind of faith that says, hey, whatever for the sake of Jesus' glory, whatever, even if it's to my own unglory. Verse 42, it goes on. Notice what life was like in those days. And once a week in the temple, <laughs> and every seventh day in the temple, and every seventh day, and maybe on prayer meeting day in the temple. No! <laughs> It says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Um, you know, growing up, I, I had become familiar with a catchphrase that was kind of demeaning to Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, the, the phrase was, Seventh Day, rather than Seven Days Adventist. And I wonder if sometimes our Christianity is reserved only for one day of the week. But in the life of the early church, this was their way of being. It was day by day, life on life. In every house. It wasn't just in the public, it was in the private sector too. There was personal investment. Do you guys see the picture, yes or no? I mean, the, the boundaries of, of, of people's personal bubbles, they were, they were decreased, I guess you could say. And this is something that maybe some of us in the Western culture feel a little bit uncomfortable with. Can, can anybody resonate a little bit with that and just say, oh, I don't know if I really want to see everybody every day of the week, okay? But here's the point. They, they weren't concerned about their own. They wanted the glory of Jesus. And if that meant meeting together and not forsaking the assembling of each other, then they were going to do it. So that was the picture. Just get the picture. That was those days. Now, beginning in verse 6, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in those days, when it was life on life, when it wasn't just in the public arena, but in the private arena, in those days, it says, when the number of disciples was multiplying. This is big. Let me just slow down. Because this is the first time in the book of Acts that the word disciple is used. In other words, when Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were converted. It says, the Lord added those who were being saved. On the day of Pentecost, there were converts, but they had not yet become disciples. Do you see the difference there, yes or no? There's a difference between recognizing truth and then living truth. Do you see that difference, yes or no? Do you realize that we're not in the business of just making converts? We're in the business of making disciples. Think about this, because this could be paradigm shifting for someone, okay? Because as long as we think we're in the business of making converts, our method of ministry will be information transmission. Whoa, whoa, whoa. As long as we think of our product, our final end result being converts, then our main method will simply be information transmission, convincing, and arguing until we're right. Oh. But if we understand that our final goal is not just a convert, but someone who's a fully devoted, radically committed disciple, then suddenly we realize that our efforts are not done when we've converted someone or convinced someone. Our efforts must continue life 
on life until they learn to live the life of Christ. Wow. So somewhere along the line, in those days, when they were meeting in the public and in the private, they were turning converts into disciples. And according to chapter 6, verse 1, it says, disciples were multiplying. Do you know that there's a difference between adding and multiplying? There's a difference between adding and multiplying. In in chapter 2, the Lord added to those such as would be saved, But here, the disciples are multiplying as a result of life-on-life ministry. The results were unprecedented. The results were exponential. The results were not working by addition, but multiplication. Whoa. So life-on-life ministry, that's the way to grow. (laughs) But here's the thing. With the great results comes a great risk. Watch out. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So here's the picture. There are Hebrew-speaking Jewish Christians and there are Greek-speaking Jewish Christians who are wondering if they're being treated fairly in the daily distribution. Remember in chapter 4, you know, people brought their stuff to the apostles and the apostles distributed as to each one had need. By this time, because the the disciples were multiplying and numbers were growing and needs were increasing, that distribution became not just an occasional thing, it was a daily thing. Okay, so this was, whew, pretty active uh, life of the church. But here in the process, there arose a complaint. Now, I don't know if you remember, we had talked about Luke chapter 15 a a month ago. And we talked about the Pharisees and the scribes murmuring, grumbling. Yeah, do you remember that? All right, it's a similar word, but the word is somewhat different because while the Pharisees and scribes in Luke 15, you could hear it, this word is one that you couldn't hear. This is talking about a silent complaint. This is talking about a secret displeasure with the current situation. Do you know what that's like? When the complaint goes from phone call to phone call, but it's not out in the open? Mm. I tell you what, this is one of the most destructive, one of the most destructive forces that face the early church, and I would say it faces our church today. So how did, God, how did God work with this? What, what, what did they do? Realize this, that in this risk of life-on-life ministry, uh, even though it generates great results and, and, and people begin to invest in each other's lives, personal bubbles are no longer, do you see how risks can, can be at an all-time high at that point? <laughs> you, you become vulnerable. You become vulnerable to people's blessing, but you also become vulnerable to people's poison. Dangerous business. And here, while the church is growing beyond bounds, I, bl- I bet the angels are high-fiving, the Holy Spirit is moving like a fire, okay? But do you imagine what Satan and the kingdom of darkness is doing at this point? They're not sitting on their hands. Satan recognizes that, whoa, wait, wait, wait. If life-on-life ministry continues... 
If this personal investment of one person investing in another continues, then there's not going to be a chance. We won't have a chance. In fact, in Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Apostles, page 87, powerful book, it says this, Satan knew that so long as this union continued to exist, he would be powerless to check the progress of gospel truth. And he sought to take advantage, no, notice of this, and he sought to take advantage of former habits of thought in the hope that thereby he might be able to introduce into the church elements of disunion. Yikes, the devil's a jerk, okay? (laughs) The devil is a jerk. He reads the situation, he knows what... He he knows what's going to happen if the Holy Spirit continues to unite his people together. If the Holy Spirit continues to use individuals life on life, day by day. And he knows, he knows what's going to happen. So you realize that when problems like this arise, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 is very real. We wrestle, yes we wrestle, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against forces of the darkness of this world. I wonder if it should become our habit that when, that when conflict arises, we just go to our knees. <laughs> uh, it's strange. I mean, I guess it's natural, isn't it? It's natural that when conflict arises, um, we go every other direction but to our knees. <laughs> But the devil will use that too. The devil knows how to torpedo things. When he sees momentum, he'll know how to distract and discourage. And this isn't, this isn't to demonize other people. This is just to recognize the spiritual warfare. Are, are we on the same page? Yes or no? And so, the early church was facing this risk. And, 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 and Satan was doing anything to drive a wedge. He was doing anything to drive a wedge. And in this case, do you notice what his scheme was? According to Acts of the Apostles, it was to introduce an element of disunion by playing on former habits of thought. By playing to to suspicions or criticisms that we were used to making. But you know, all this tells me is that even though it runs a great risk, it calls for complete surrender. Um, Because, again, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, so we're not just going to put up our dukes and come out against them, you know, firing, whatever. We're going to go to our closet and surrender self and ask that Jesus would take former habits of thought. I don't know what our former habits of thought that that Satan could use to introduce disunion. Only you know those former habits of thought. Whether it's to look on others with suspicion, or whether it's to to become defensive about ourselves, or whether it's to look on others with with lust, or or, or, or other other satanic self-oriented motives. And so all of this tells me that when we're investing life on life, yes, it's going to run a great risk, but in those risks, it's going to call us to the closet. 
It's going to call us to sweet surrender day by day, moment by moment, especially of those former habits of thought. It's going to call for extremely great communication. (laughs) Because in the silence of complaint, it's easy to just back off and pretend like nothing wrong is happening. But that's all the more reason to press together. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's all the more reason to press together, to come close, to communicate openly and honestly. And I would say this, you know, I'm not exactly sure. The, the story doesn't give us a ton of detail as to how long this complaint was going. It doesn't give us a ton of detail as to how many parties were actually involved in the complaining. But, but one thing I don't want to do is follow their example and take a suspicion and run with it to a stubborn conclusion, okay? Uh, Something maybe that we can learn from this is that, you know, when something something arises that, that ruffles, or when something arises that isn't to our fancy, maybe we need to grow the habit of suspending judgment and assuming the best of other people's intentions. Yeah. Well, I I didn't plan to get this uh, (laughs) nitty-gritty. But, I mean, this is the reality of family life, right? Sometimes you just need to gather around the dinner table and say, okay, let's play it straight. All right, (laughs) family meeting, right? And this isn't isn't something that the early church didn't have to go through. And so I'm comforted by that. I'm really, really comforted by that. They face problems too. (laughs) But you know what? The Holy Spirit guided them through it. All right, so let's keep going. Now, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2, notice the prompt response. Verse 2, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples. Remember, this is a big group of people now. The multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, I don't want us to read this with a tone of voice as if it's demeaning or as if he's saying, ah, that's not important. No, that's not what he's saying, okay? He's, the word there for serve tables is ministry. He, he's, he's saying that there are different kinds of ministry, and we're not going to leave the ministry of the word in order to do the ministry of this practical need. So, so this is what he does. He proposes a solution. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Again, ministry, this task, this heavy responsibility. They weren't demeaning it at all. Verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This is amazing. I mean, we could probably spend a whole, you know, a whole month just looking at the principles of how to deal with conflict here. But what I want us to see is what the disciples or what the apostles didn't do, okay? (laughs) What the apostles didn't do, they didn't react. You know there's a difference between responding and reacting? Yeah? Uh, They responded from principle. They didn't react out of emotion, okay? Uh, And they didn't didn't come back with a counter-complaint or a counter-murmuring. They didn't, they didn't try to subvert the, the silent displeasure with another silent displeasure. You know, they, they didn't play by Satan's game. And so what, what, did, what did they do? Well, number one, we know this. 
In verse 2 it says, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. In other words, they recognized a sense of divine call and purpose and priority out of that. In other words, they they responded from principle. They didn't react from emotion. They understood that God gives gifts as he desires. And when he gives a call, there are certain responsibilities that are entailed in that, but it doesn't exclude the possibility of others holding ministry that is just as valuable. All right. This is actually really, really cool. Because these leaders, these leaders recognized, hey, this conflict is actually an opportunity to grow. Did you know that? <laughs> I, used to be, I used to be very, very fearful of conflict, and probably I, very, I, I still am. Okay. <laughs> but I've come to claim by faith that conflict is an opportunity to grow. Amen. The apostles, they saw this, they could have, they very easily could have seen this as a threat to their leadership, saying, oh, this group of people, they don't want me to be in leadership. They, they, they don't appreciate the things that we're doing. Well, I'll just, you know? They didn't do that. They saw it as an opportunity to multiply leadership. They turned this lemon into lemonade. Okay, this is great. Okay, so what did they do? What was the solution? It says this. Verse 3. Therefore, brethren. Do you notice that the apostles didn't call them therefore colleagues, (laughs) therefore clients, Therefore, you in that business and we in this business. No, 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 no. It says, therefore, brethren. Something that is huge in the midst of the risks of life-on-life ministry is to constantly affirm the brotherhood. It's to constantly affirm the family tie. We cannot lose sight of that. We cannot lose sight of that because once we do, Once we do, we know what happened to the older brother in the prodigal son, right? The older brother would have rather have just seen that younger son, just this son of yours, you know? But the apostles say, therefore, brethren. So they they affirm the family relationship, and notice this. They say, seek out from among who? Among you. The solution that they were proposing was actually going to come from the supposedly complaining party. The apostles said, look, look, look. I realize that there appears to be a misunderstanding. (laughs) So how about we work towards a solution? And I bet the solution lies within your own hands. Sometimes it's easy, it's easy to murmur and complain and assume that the one you're complaining about is going to provide a solution. But the apostles recognize that, wait a minute, sometimes the best way to overcome these differences is to look within our own hands and say, what can I do about this? Wow, how practical is that? Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Now, what's interesting about this, does your Bible say something different in verse 3? Mine says, seek out from among you. What does yours say? Choose, select, is there another version? Look, okay. What's very interesting, the Greek word, seek out, it's used in the Old Testament to speak about the Lord visiting the children of Israel. In excuse me, Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, you know, the, the children of Israel, they're in bondage to slavery, 
And then Moses gives them word, hey, look, the Lord wants to bring you out of the house of bondage. And the narr- their narration goes like this, the Lord visited his children. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 1, Sarah, the, the wife of Abraham, she had this promise that one day she's going to have a son, but she's barren for years on end. And then finally in chapter 21, verse 1, it says the Lord visited Sarah and turned her barrenness into uh, fertility. And so here, this word about seeking out or looking or selecting, it's not just like, all right, let me look at a list here. Who would be good? No, no, no. It's actually, it's actually a life-on-life measure. It's actually saying, hey, go visit. Go visit. Go come close to the people and come close enough that you can see that they're full of the Holy Spirit and gifted with wisdom. Do you realize in this, in this situation where life-on-life ministry actually generated the problem, they didn't back away from life-on-life ministry. They said, okay, we've got to seek life-on-life measures to find life-on-life ministers. And so they pursued it. They pursued it. So seek out. This. How long does it take for you to know that someone is full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom? Does it happen in an instant, yes or no? No. And I think that's the point. The disciples understood that life-on-life ministry was working. Life-on-life ministry was the way Jesus did it in their lives. And now he's calling this, this multitude and saying, look guys, it's up to us to come close to people, close enough that we actually know their giftedness, that we actually know their passions, and that we can highly recommend them to this sacred ministry. Wow. So they didn't back away. They didn't back away and said, okay, okay, go visit, go look, go carefully select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now notice in verse 5, the saying, please the whole multitude. Praise the Lord. They were looking for a solution, and when the solution was proposed, everybody was all on board. It pleased the whole multitude. And notice the kind of people they chose. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. What's interesting about this list is that these are not Hebrew names. These are Greek names. In other words, the Greek-speaking Jews who had the issue, they looked from among them, and found that there were men very, very capable of fulfilling the need that they felt was neglected. Boy. That's really, that's, that's a beautiful picture. That's a very, very beautiful picture. And it says in verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And notice the end result. In verse 7, then the word of God spread. Then the word of God spread. Why? Because people did not back away from life-on-life ministry. They didn't say, oh, it's too great of a risk. They said, no, 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 let's press. Let's press together. And the word of God spread, and the number of disciples, again, disciples, not just converts, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great, oh, notice this, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So even the, the most unlikely actually became obedient to the faith as a result of people pressing on 
in this unsung secret of the early church. They pressed in life on life ministry. So let's just recap, recap here. So, so we've got in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, we saw pictures of life-on-life ministry taking place. Uh, th- there was unity not just in thought, but also in deed. They were giving of their time, giving of their resources, giving of their energy for the sake of others' blessing. They were meeting both in the public and in the private, not just once a week, but seven days of the week. And th- they were investing each other, they were investing themselves in each other's well-being. So life-on-life ministry resulted in disciples being multiplied, right? But as disciples were multiplied, risks were also exposed. Satan took advantage of an opportunity to try to introduce an element of disunion, but because of the apostles' prayerful and prompt response, that element of disunion went nowhere. Amen. In fact, they, they, looked at, they looked at the risk of life-on-life ministry. They realized, okay, okay, this could get ugly. But they didn't back away. That, I think, is the point. They didn't back away. In fact, when they came out with a solution, they said, okay, let's use life-on-life measures to find life-on-life ministers. They dug their heels in deep, in this unsung secret of the early church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit invested or manifest in the life-on-life ministry. They stuck with it. And as a result, the word of God spread. Disciples were multiplied all the more. So what's the big idea? What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with us? Last week, I was so, uh, I was blessed to make a call for Barnabas and we all stood, okay? That was very, very encouraging to me. I was even more blessed when my wife surprised me and took the mic off my lapel and said, hey, let's do a barnet raising, okay? (laughs) And when I saw the kind of love that was showed to Harold and Gwen and Dee in their home on a Sunday morning when we easily could have been basking out in the sun, I don't know, doing our Sunday brunch, whatever, we were sweating, or I guess I should say you were sweating. I was babysitting. But, <laughs> but here's the point. I was blessed to see that. And I know, I know, talking with several of you, you were blessed to be a part of that. And here's, here's the thing. As we, as we invest ourselves in each other's lives, it may run the risk of being misinterpreted. It may run the risk of invading people's bubbles. It may run the risk of, of people feeling left out. As you're, calling to, as you're calling some to your side, you may be looking past others in their need. It may run that risk, which is why we all need to be doing it, not just some of us. Okay. But just because it runs the risk of spiritual attack, just because it runs the risk of, of, you know, of misunderstanding and, and possible misconstruing, just because it runs that risk, it doesn't mean that we back away. It only means that we press together, press together, press together. And that may be hard. I know it because it requires good communication. That may be hard. I know it because it requires a surrendering of self day by day. That may be hard. I know it because it requires actually getting to know people (laughs) 
And maybe, maybe probably the best habit that we can start developing here as a church is actually asking the question, is there anything I can help you with this week? It, it, it will require a personal interest. It will require a heaven-born love. It will require surrendering of self. It will require coming close. <laughs> but when life-on-life ministry is truly invested in, when we dig our heels deep and say, no, we're not going to let go. We're going to press tighter, tighter, all the more tight. I guarantee you that not just converts, but disciples will multiply. The Word of God says it. The Word of God will spread. Disciples will multiply. So friends, today, you know, I'm not sure how this story hit you. I'm not sure if there was a particular application. We, we ran through applications all the way along. But I pray that we as a church, that we would just dig our heels deep. Because the life of Barnabai, the life of being sons and daughters of encouragement, cannot just be flash-in-the-pan type of ministry. It cannot just be a flavor of the month. You understand what I'm saying? It cannot just be something that, oh, that's a good idea right now, but a month from now, I'm probably not. You know? It's got to be something that day by day we truly invest ourselves in. And that's the kind of church I want to pastor. That's the kind of church I want to equip. That's the kind of church I want to fire up and release into this community where there are hundreds of souls dying to know the way to salvation. But you know what? All these stories that we've looked at, it's not life on life to to those out there. It's life on life within here. And, And as we do this, I believe God says, hey, that's a community of faith that I can entrust with souls. And that's where, multi- where, that's where disciples are multiplied. So who's in? I'm in. Are you in this morning? Yeah? Hey, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, this was some nitty-gritty stuff, and I thank you so much that in your infinite wisdom, you know how to instruct us. That these stories in Scripture, they could just look like passing scenes, but they're really stories for us to find ourselves in. And so, Lord, I pray that you would first of all, cleanse our hearts and remove from us former habits of thought that the devil could use to take advantage. I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would do a sanctifying work in each of our hearts, that as we come close to each other, we would lose sight of self and only see the Savior. Lord, I ask that that you would give us a heaven-born love for each other, that our ears would be wide open to knowing how we can meet each other's needs, that we as families and individuals would know how to be able to team up with each other and say, hey, look, let's do this for that brother, for that sister. Father, I thank you for the ways that you're manifesting that grace upon us. And Lord, I I, I look forward to the ways you're going to multiply that, but I just pray that in the name of Jesus, you would banish the devil that you would back him off, that you would clothe us with the full armor of God and cause us to be strong in the Lord, that no matter what darts he tries to fire our way, we would hold up the shield of faith, that we would continue to press together, that we would affirm our brotherhood and family relationship. So God, thank you that you did this in the past with the early church. And Lord, today we pray that you would do this for us. This is our desire. In Christ's saving name, let everyone say.
Amen. Amen. Have a blessed Sabbath. Again, there's a fellowship dinner right after. I'm not going to be greeting out here by the door. I'm going to be meeting here with the prayer team. And again, if you'd like to join us for special prayer, this is where we'll be. Happy Sabbath, friends.